Hello once again, Phoebe here with the 14th episode of the Ink Disorder Recovery Podcast, not about food. A bit more of a vague theme this week, but it was great to talk to my friend Amy about her recovery from anorexia and how we both really excelled in our recoveries out of intense treatment, which is how we met. Disclaimer though, we are not prescribing a recovery approach for everyone. There are things we discussed that helped us both and they may inspire some recovery exploration and hope. But remember, we aren't experts and can't tell anyone how to approach their recovery. So in terms of work and whatnot, I'm super swamped at the moment, so we'll keep putting episodes out fortnightly. If you have any feedback or questions for us, or you feel you have something to talk about on the podcast and you want to offer to be a guest, you can contact us at notaboutfoodpod on Twitter or notaboutfoodpod at gmail.com. We would love it as well if you can rate and review the show if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And however you're listening, please tell absolutely everyone to give us a listen so we can reach more people. As usual, content warnings are in the episode description. And on with the show. Hi, it is episode 14 of Not About Food and I'm here with my friend Amy, who I met in treatment many, many years ago. And... We are going to talk about kind of our similar experiences of recovery, of being in treatment and not really getting better, but turning it around out of treatment and kind of not obeying the generic nice guideline rules of how how to recover from an eating disorder. So cool. Hi, Amy. Hi, Phoebe. Uh, cool. So do you want to start with just, you know, the gist of your experience with your ED? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I think for other people, it probably looked like it came on really suddenly. But actually, for me, it was something that had been around for years, um, sort of on and off. I I can remember as a child had having no issues with food, feeling absolutely fine. And then it was sort of as I went up to secondary school, I kind of started being conscious of my body as a lot of people do at that age and actually for me it was more people commenting on that I was thin rather than people commenting on anything being big or anything so it was kind of like I think you know at that age I had a growth spurt kind of shot up got taller lost some of the I don't know what you call it puppy fat whatever and I remember that was the first kind of time where people was like, oh, Amy, you know, you're looking really good. You've shot up and, you know, there was jokes around me being skinny and stuff. And I think that was the first time that I kind of thought, oh, this is something good. This is something to be, I can be good at this. And I think I had a pretty good school life. I had a good circle of friends, but whenever I felt like I was struggling or I felt a bit down or out of control food was something that I definitely came back to food and weight as something I could control something I was good at but it didn't really get bad until sixth form so from the ages between kind of 16 17 18 that was when it kind of started getting worse and I think my parents especially my mum kind of noticed and there was quite a lot of conflict around it but yeah it definitely it definitely kind of went downhill 17 18 and like I say other people probably thought it was really sudden but to me it was the thoughts had always been around but at that time I definitely felt out of control with everyone going off to unis I felt like I was going to lose all my friends we were all going to different places all over the country there was a lot of stuff 
at home where I felt resented, felt like I was making the wrong decisions about anything and everything. And it was just kind of, I think, stemmed from a place of A, being out of control, but also not liking myself and feeling like a punishment element as well. And so, yeah, I I remember going to the doctors originally because I had lost my periods and it was around my periods. And they straight away kind of picked up the element of my weight and was weighing me and stuff and sent me on my way with a leaflet. And yeah, and um, I think it got to the point where I actually came to my mum and said, you know what, I think this is a problem because it was just getting too much. I was writing down everything I was eating. It was just on my mind constantly. And yeah, obviously went back to the doctors and they referred me straight away to the mental health team. Um, And that's kind of where all my treatment began and it went on for the next five years. But again, I sort of was in and out of uni, had to drop out for a year. Um, Even college, I sort of did mainly from home and was in the priory for a stay. Then obviously I was in the day patient unit where we met. And yeah, just various different treatment centres. And I would say they helped. They definitely contributed. But at first, there was a lot of resistance my end. At first, I didn't want to get well at all. Um, and I think that's part of it is I had to come to the decision on my own that I wanted to get better. And then, like you said in the introduction, sort of I I had to do it on my own terms. I didn't want to do it. it I think a lot of the treatment is so much about numbers, which the illness is so much about numbers. And I think they can overlap so much that sometimes it's almost counterproductive. Um, so in the end, I kind of ended up stepping away from that and kind of making my own plan for recovery. And that's kind of what worked for me in the end. So much of um, what you've explained applies exactly to me, <laughs> which I, I mean, I knew we had um, similar recovery experiences, but I didn't realise that much of what happened before that was also very very similar and probably roughly around the same time as well because we were about the same age yeah um, yeah I like I think my parents would have thought the same thing like it happened suddenly over a few months and like no there were things think maybe what eight or nine years of little indicators and the beginning of symptoms before it got bad yeah definitely and um that's why I, you know awareness is so important and early intervention so important and obviously there's not enough of either of those no definitely not and I think sort of it just kind of shows that a lot of people have the preconception that you know people are bullied about their weight and they'll go on to develop it or things like that but for me it was the total opposite I was never overweight I mean probably when I was like a baby I was chunky but as a teenager yeah exactly like you know I was always a normal healthy weight I never I had loads of friends. I I didn't have a bad teenage life as such. But yeah, I think you can't really know someone's inner world. And that's what it is. It's a mental illness. And I think so many people get caught up with the physical. And it just kind of shows that, you know, to someone else, they might people might be commented on their weight, they might be commented on their looks, and they can brush it off. But if you've got that predisposition there, it just develops into something. And you know it's very difficult because with some people they could completely brush it off but yeah it's just I don't know it's a very difficult one I think if someone goes and says you know I'm struggling with this then you have to take it seriously because it's it's so hard to get to that point as it is it was so hard for me to go to my mum and say oh actually 
you know, I think you're right. I think this is an issue. I do feel out of control. If it was took so long to get to that point, then, you know, luckily I did get taken seriously. But I think that is because my weight by then was so low. But I know plenty of others who got turned away because their BMI wasn't low enough, which is just outrageous. <laughs> yeah, like I've talked about it on the podcast before. Like I'm thinking of a specific friend of mine whose behaviour was very similar to mine but her weight wasn't under the so-called anorexic threshold so Mm -hmm. did she get did she get treatment did she get taken seriously no whereas I did and the only difference was our bodies okay so yeah I am with you it's like the thing about treatment it wasn't wholly ineffective but it also wasn't effective long long term yeah say that that was like similar for you when you like had your you went into the priory and also had day patient yeah I mean there was definitely elements of it that helped um and I think when you get to a stage where you want to get better you can kind of take those things that you've learned on board um whereas at the time I probably didn't want to get better and so they kind of went in one ear and out the other but definitely I think a lot of the treatment when you're in there with lots of other people suffering with eating disorders as well Um, and there's this sort of competitive element of it the fact that it's based so much around numbers when that is the illness in itself was just I found that it just was kind of one step forward one step back all the time so it very much fed into the control element for me because you know I'd have so many conversations with dietitians every week about your X amount of weight, that means you have to add in X amount of calories to the meal plan. And it was all so structured and it was kind of a game of, yeah, of like juggling different numbers every week. And it just became, right, if I can keep it at that number, you know, and it was kind of, right, you have to put on X amount every week um, to stay out of hospital and this, that and the other. And I think it just becomes so much of oh, I'll hover it here and, you know, to keep me out of hospital. And then when they're not looking, I'll do this, that and the other. And it just becomes a game. When I thought about what recovery actually looks like um, and what life free from that would look like, you know, no one that I looked at sort of my uni friends and stuff, they didn't think about numbers day to day. They didn't think about stepping on the scale every day and seeing the tiny minute differences. And I think that's what made me think, even if I get to a stage of recovery where I am supposedly healthy weight, supposedly kind of managing my food, I don't want it to be in the respect of I'm still following a meal plan and I still have to kind of think, oh, I'm having this as a snack so I can only have this for dinner and like constantly be juggling. Because that's, you know, that was very much at the beginning where I kind of started from was writing everything down and adding everything up. and. That was so much for me, I think, what kept me in it was the numbers. And my mum had been to like several carers meetings um, and kind of talked to people who had come out the other side. And they always, always said, if you let go of the numbers, like that's the best thing. And I was so resistant to doing it. Like I always had to be in control. But I think that's, that's the whole aspect of the illness, isn't it? For me, it was very much about control. So... I think the final step for me was thinking if I let go of that, that equals kind of a real recovery for me. And just following a more, I guess, I don't know, kind of holistic kind of plan. I don't know, it wasn't a plan as such, but I just wanted to know that I could 
you know, go out for brunch or something and have, you know, a nice brunch and then maybe, you know, not have lunch, but then just eat something later when I'm hungry. I just wanted to be in tune with my body again and follow that. And especially I think where I'd gone to uni and met other friends there and stuff and seeing that they would, you know, get drunk and then hung over and maybe not eat until whatever time in the afternoon and then have a big pizza or something. I kind of started to see how unnatural what I was doing was, you know, sticking to this plan of I have to eat dinner at six o'clock, even if I'm hungry at five or seven or it just fed so much into it. And I can understand why it has to be in place kind of for safety purposes when you're that low weight and you're that kind of dangerously ill but for me it just I just think it didn't help it just you know I can understand that sometimes I probably needed that to keep me um on track but ultimately it was never going to get me to the place of freedom that I wanted it was always going to kind of keep me in the loop and keep me in the cycle yeah Yeah. I think it can be necessary especially when you are really out of tune with your body and your hunger and fullness cues are completely out of whack and also a matter of when you've been in it for so long you don't know what it is to eat quote unquote normally I genuinely had no idea by the time I started considering recovery what most people did food wise I was like seriously though what what do you do like I remember asking friends to keep a food diary so I could like get an idea of what they were doing or asking my mum who's like the most normal person around food ever like my recovery inspiration really but yeah I mean I was the same when I started recovery off my own volition after being discharged from day patient for not complying (laughs) (laughs) yeah I never Um, knew that (laughs) yeah I yeah because obviously we had like we crossed over at day patient didn't we but we had I I had like three separate stints there um and in the last one I was really resistant I literally started a protest about the food they were feeding us (laughs) and then I was also the way you described it as a game of you know you'll gain uh, uh, my thing was I'll gain in the week Monday to Thursday on weigh days and then by the following Monday I've lost it all and more more so yeah and then they were like you're not complying this isn't the right place for you so bye I was like (laughs) fine but yeah the when I started and decided actually I do want to recover it was a little while after that final stint at day patient it was again very numbers focused because I'd done I don't know if you did this but I kind of researched recovery because again it was really I didn't know how to do it outside of treatment not that it had been like in treatment it had worked long term but you know there had been not so much in day patient but in hospital there were definite improvements um sadly they didn't last but yeah so I was like what do I do what do I eat and so there was like you need to eat this amount of calories if you need to weight restore and go from this to this to this and so I kind of did it that way and portioned out like a meal plan like yeah. X amount for breakfast, X amount for morning snack, and so on. And at some point, I don't know how long that went on for, and I was meticulously weighing all of my food as well. Yeah. And keeping it keeping a log. I think I I went mad. I was just like, oh my God, this is so 
like I realized just how ridiculous I was being that to the tiniest minute detail that I had to keep track of and one day I just said no mm-hmm. I've I've been you know I followed this meal plan so I kind of know roughly what I need but I am not doing it by calories anymore yeah did you do that kind of did you it have was, that kind yeah, of revelation I mean I don't remember specifically kind of how it happened when it happened but it was definitely a similar thing of what the what the day patient was really good for for me was they they focused on what would help me as a sort of individual what I could bring into my everyday life and that really did stay with me that I would credit to them you know that really helped um in the respect that we would go out for snacks for example we'd go to Costa Uh, and things like that not when I went oh really they they by the time yeah because um yeah it was pretty much scrapped because we were deemed the people at the time were deemed not well enough to do it um yeah, that's a massive so shame just, yeah that was just something that didn't happen like the year that we were both in at the same time granted I stayed for like three days on that occasion and I was like <laughs> nope but no the following year they were just like no none of you are well enough we're not going out for snacks I think that's such a shame because I think that's the one thing that really turned things around for me was kind of Mm. seeing how that food element could kind of give me an aspect of my life back so going going out for snacks and things was kind of an open door for me because I had such a fear of eating around other people for a start off so just going into that environment and sitting there with a coffee and cake and stuff was a massive kind of hurdle for me but it just also meant that sort of when I went back to uni and when I went to visit friends, I could actually go out and have a coffee with them and I could do stuff like that. And then we started looking at, you know, going out for lunches and not knowing the calories and, you know, safe options for me to go out and have. And although it was obviously all within the kind of, it was still a restricted element of like, oh, I'm only going to let myself have this. It was the start of something which opened my mind to thinking, you know, even silly things like alcohol, I had not let myself have alcohol at all. And I remember whilst I was in there, I kind of did that with a couple of the patients that I kind of made friends with and it all felt very supportive. So I felt comfortable doing that. And it just meant that I could feel a bit more normal when I did go back to uni and when I kind of in, yeah, integrated back into that, I could do those things. And I think from the meal plan element, like you said, that is what pushed me in the end because. I so badly wanted to let go of I, I wanted to be quote unquote more normal I hate saying that word but um I just that's how it feels though isn't it yeah I just looked around and I just thought I don't want this life anymore I don't want to kind of be this I felt like an outsider who had to follow these certain rules and these certain times and you know lots of things kind of added up to it I think you know I met a guy and I was with a boyfriend and when he would come to stay it started off with me kind of being like when he comes to stay for the weekend I'll let him cook me dinner I won't know what's in it and I'll just go with it and I'll just go off the meal plan follow whatever we do but it would only be for those two days then for the rest of the week I'll go back onto the meal plan but I think as you kind of build up that confidence you realize actually like you say, I know roughly what I'm having. I know now what I have in the day, what my body needs. So if I, you know, and you do have to be in a good enough headspace, like you say, to be able to 
stick to that and to be able to not kind of abuse it. But yeah, it just got to the point where I thought, I just want to be more free with it. And I just, I want a full recovery where I can go and, yeah, have dinner with my boyfriend and then, you know, go out for breakfast and just get lunch wherever and not be constantly like, oh, I've got to have this at four o'clock and I've got to have this at whatever. And yeah, I just didn't want to be restricted by it anymore. And alongside that, a really big element as well was that I switched over my care and I sort of took much more in I kind of told her what I wanted instead of vice versa and I said I don't want to know my weight I will be weighed but I don't want you to tell me unless it's like really bad and I have to know but yeah that helped massively as well so I think the two side by side letting go of the meal plan the calories those numbers and letting go of my weight together in all was just and I think people listening, they'll probably think, oh, but, you know, how can you let go of those numbers and not feel terrified? But although it is scary to begin with, I think the less you know, the less you can kind of be tormented with in a way. Um, yeah, the, the, it took a while getting used to it, but after a while, you think, I don't know my weight, so I can't go crazy about it. And I can't. Yeah, because. I think the detrimental thing about treatment going back to kind of that is the fact of you see your number going up by however much each week and then whatever you've done that week so if you've done a really big challenge of like oh I'm going to go out for a meal or something if you've put on weight you then go oh that's because of that I'm never doing that again and it just goes around in that vicious cycle whereas if you don't know it's just much more gradual and much more fluid that's how it felt for me. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Not knowing my weight was probably the biggest game changer. Mm -hmm. And, but I wasn't weighed even because if I was even to, to this day, and I refuse being weighed at any medical appointment, if I am being weighed, I can't not look. Yeah. I've got, I've, I've just, it's a compulsion that I've never really overcome hence why I don't weigh myself ever and don't let anyone else weigh me but yeah like my um my therapist based at um the same based at the unit but I'd see on a weekly basis somehow she agreed not to weigh me and all of her colleagues were like what on earth are you doing because I was you know I was I was at a low weight and I you know, like I said, I'd previously been discharged for not complying and they just thought it was a terrible idea. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me in treatment, ever. Yeah, I would agree. And I know there's so much around weight. And, you know, at day patient, we got weighed twice a week. My first hospital stay as an adolescent, we got weighed every morning. And it, yeah. So I'm just going, yeah, Amy's face. She's going like, oh my God. How can that be helpful? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then also, so you'd, we'd get weighed every morning and then just one of the healthcare assistants who was doing the weighing would then be like, well, we've got to change your meal plan now based on what happened, not the dietitian and not the consultant. That, whew, whew. Um, yeah, so that 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 was fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, that's the thing, the numbers thing. And I didn't think I could ever let go of the numbers, but I also, I realised that it was either let go of the numbers or don't recover properly and I understand that for some people it's better to still be a bit restrict like eat enough but still be very number focused 
and that's the reality of their recovery and they you know that may be what they do forever but it just didn't feel like the real thing for me to do that even yeah it's kind of like we've said said previously on the podcast is you don't have to under eat or over eat or whatever to have an ed and yes it is it you i guess it, it is recovery to eat enough and weight restore and all of that stuff but if you're still very limited and you've still got mm-hmm. restrictions it's not as freeing as it could be and well, it's like, not all it is is it like that's what i would say it's kind of like the i agree with you it's important it's an important element of it to obviously eat enough to weight restore that is one element of it but it's only one element of it. And I think that's what's massively, massively missed in a lot of treatment is they are purely treating the physical element of it, but it's a mental illness at the end of the day. And if you don't get rid of that, then you are always going to be in that prison. You are always going to have those thoughts. You are always going to potentially go back to it as well. I think that's why so many people go in and out of hospital so many times and cycle around treatment because they are literally just yeah anyone can kind of eat weight restore get to that point but if you're mentally still thinking right the minute I get out of here I'm going to go back to square one then there's just no hope and I think sorry my dog (laughs) um I think that's what was so different for me as well was when I actually got discharged from treatment I actually wasn't a healthy weight I was on my way I'd put on a lot of weight from where I had started but I wasn't fully there, but they trusted that mentally I was in such a good place. I would get there on my own. And I did. And I've never sort of looked back. But I equally know people like you're saying who they've focused completely on weight. They've been discharged based on that weight. But years and years down the line, they are still so restricted of I can only eat this. You know, they're still following a meal plan. They're still weighing out their cereal every morning. And for me, I agree that isn't freedom and I, I wouldn't say that's full recovery. And OK, it's better to live your life like that than being really in the depths of unwell. But I think you've I think the one thing that people miss so much is that it is a mental illness and the mental kind of torment that you go through of thinking and going round and all the numbers and everything. That was what was more that was what was awful to me you know I think I think obviously it's horrible being physically unwell you kind of get used to it in a weird way you kind of get used to all the physical symptoms when you are ill the physical symptoms for me were like a confirmation of doing it well Mm. like if I felt are you (laughs) yeah if I felt like physically okay I'd be like why do I feel physically okay I've got to push push myself further even though Mm. you do your body does adapt to that level of restriction because it has to well yeah an evolutionary mechanism to stay well at a low weight and that's how people do sustain it for such a long time but yeah I didn't want to feel physically okay yeah a lot of the time exactly and I think the sad thing is as well a lot of people when they are recovering or trying to recover their massive massive fear and I know it was a fear for me was if I get physically well, everyone will think that I'm okay. Everyone will think I'm mentally okay. And unfortunately, I do think that happens. You know, I do think people look at someone and think, oh, you're eating again, you're eating normally, you seem fine. But you have to address 
what's going on mentally. And the thing is, the food is really a byproduct. You know, it's actually not about the food and weight. It's there's so much more deeper to it. And I think if you don't address that, then number one, it can come back. Number two, it can just go to other things. You know, I still have a lot of anxiety. I still have struggling with OCD issues now. There's still a lot of things. Um, and, you know, where I would say I'm completely recovered from the eating disorder. And mentally, I was a lot better. But I do still think when someone's been through that, they're probably going to battle with mental illness in one way or the other for a long time. And, you know, you kind of get discharged from the system and forgotten about. And I think people closer to you, people around you really need to realise that you're still going to need support in one way or another. Um, you're still vulnerable. You still have those, you know, intrusive thoughts and they might not be presenting in the same way, but they can still be present. Yeah, for sure. Like part of, I think, part of an issue with treatment, and I think this is in some respects down to time scale, but um, not getting to figure it, maybe not the very root of the issue, but the underlying influences. We talk about this all the time on here, that it doesn't start as an issue around your body most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it be- it becomes the body image issues is almost a secondary aspect to it and it, it does become like a big part and very very real but most of the time there are there are other things that influenced the initial behaviors and yeah if you treat the diet um and someone gets up to eating more adequately and maybe weight restores if they need to weight restore, because obviously not everyone is underweight, but that doesn't mean yeah. they don't have to refeed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then they maybe got get into a better habit, but those initial issues, the underlying issues, weren't properly addressed. And we can just go back down to where we started. A lot of the time, someone will come out of treatment eating more, but it will, and it will, you know, they won't immediately go back to what they were eating when they were ill. But we kind of gradually get back that way. That coping mechanism has not been addressed and we've not been given other tools to yeah. deal with the distress we have that led to the ED in the first place. No, yeah, I, yeah, that's exactly it. I think I, I understand that physically there's things that need to be addressed, you know, and I can understand why the main concern can be, okay, you know, I was always told once you get to a certain weight, you have more mental capacity to actually get better and things like that. And probably to a degree that is true when you're severely, severely underweight or undernourished, you probably do need to sort out an element of the physical to actually have the brain capacity to deal with anything else. So I can understand why that may come first. But I think if that's all they're looking at, if they then don't follow it up with you're looking at the underlying elements like you say and where this stemmed from if you don't have any of that then the physical will just yeah just decline because like you say it is a coping mechanism at the end of the day it's not often yeah it's not really just about how you look it's not a lot of people think it's a vanity thing and wanting to look a certain way but it isn't and you know even if there that that is an element it's normally because you're thinking along the lines of if I can look like that, my I will be happier, I will be better, my life will be sort of fixed if I can, you know, achieve that, which obviously means that you're unhappy in your life somewhere. There's something 
driving this and you need to look at that driving force. And I do think, you know, not always, but that is sometimes missed. And that is where people do go round and round in the system and kind of get lost in it. Yeah. And I think there's often talk of going back to who you were before your ED. Mm. But before your ED, there was still some, there was some stuff going on, even if it wasn't reflected in your, like, in how you ate. So recovery is very much a going, going forward thing. Because if I went back to being, say, 12, there were things manifesting there. So it's it's not an option, but aside from the fact it's not an option to, to go back. Yeah. You also don't necessarily want to aspire to being your former self. Your recovery is aspiring to be future you mm. who's dealt with all of this and has come through it and has lots of new strengths and coping tools to boot. Yeah, I think that's a really big road, really big roadblock when it comes to recovery as well is who am I without the eating disorder? And I think that really scared me because, yeah, I a lot of people would, you know, show me pictures when I was a teenager and be like, you know, you were so happy, so confident. You want to get back to that, Amy. But like you say, actually underlying that, you know, underneath the pictures, underneath that kind of self that I showed to other people, there was obviously a lot of hurt and sensitivity and, yeah, not not necessarily happiness. So and you can't let you say you can't go back you know I was kind of 16 17 when this started I was in my 20s when it finished and you're you're not a child anymore I couldn't go back to being a child so I think one thing that definitely helped me was kind of thinking about who just who do I want Amy to be you know who do I want to be after this it's kind of like you can be you know I had hypnotherapy at one point and at the time, I kind of didn't know how much it helped, how much it didn't. But in hindsight, I think it helped purely to think, who do I want to be? I can be pretty much anyone. What path do I want to go down? Um, and when you start thinking about that, you it's easier to let go of the eating disorder because it's not your only sense of identity. You know, I can remember sort of being in the day patient unit and getting really into art and doing loads of art and stuff. And that's how I remember you. Yeah, I mean, having an identity that was something other than the eating disorder, I was the arty one and, you know, always painting, that that really fueled me with something. It fueled me because I thought, oh, you know, this is someone I can be, I can be someone creative. There's more to me than just the Amy with anorexia kind of thing. And I think that's a really important part is discovering who you want to be, discovering what you want to do as your future self. Yeah, for me, identity was another huge roadblock for me because all I wanted was to be the one who's the best at anorexia, mm. and I couldn't I couldn't achieve anything else. And also, I'd be in I would have no aspect I would have no personality without it. And again, with hindsight, you realise, God, I was so boring back then because <laughs> I had such such tunnel vision like I watched Food Network for 12 hours a day and then scrolled through scrolled through Tumblr and Google Images looking at pictures of food that's not having a personality no I know it is it's crazy when you look back and you kind of see yourself I mean to me it feels like a completely separate person you know I can't exactly, even yeah. put myself there and think of that as me it's just like another being but really 
you know, you've, you, you put it on this pedestal of, like you say, that is my personality, that is who I am. Actually, it was the complete opposite. It was, it drained me of my personality. It literally left me as like a shell. Like there was no element of me in that person. It was just this angry, sad, dark person. And, you know, it was, I think that's why, you know, when I say it was so kind of shocking for other people around me, um, I think it went from, say, in my sister's perspective or something or, you know, my family's perspective, it went from me being this bubbly teenager, outgoing and everything, to suddenly so in myself, so resentful and kind of just shut down. I just I just remember I barely ever spoke. I was almost like scared to speak. And I think that's one element of when I did go in, when I took that kind of year break um and I went into day patient that's one thing that did really help is that I felt like I got some of my personality back I you know made friends based on me and who I was and just kind of had the time to deeper look into who do I want to be and yeah I think that's so important to just kind of really take that time to think about who do you want to be and who are you without any of this eating disorder kind of draining it from you which is really hard to separate but it's really important too yeah I don't know about you in terms of how you feel in your identity but although when I talk about being unwell it does feel like telling someone else's story Mm. I also have that element of someone in recovery as part of my identity is that something that you kind of have or have you separated yourself from that fully I think it will always be a part of my identity I agree because I think it is so much of my story and it's something that I'm now passionate about and you know now I'm sort of a mental health first aider at work and I've spoken about my eating disorder and my recovery and part of me I think didn't want to cling on to it too much because I didn't want that to you know dictate who I was but I think I've kind of made peace now with the fact that that is always going to be part of me and I'm always going to have this desire to kind of speak out about it and you know things hit me harder you know things in the news things in the media we hear they really strike a chord with me obviously having been through it and I think when you've been through something like that it ultimately changes you you know like before before any of this my friends, my family, me didn't know anything about eating disorders, nothing about mental health, really. But once you've been through that, you can't unlearn it, you know, and your eyes are opened to this whole other world. And I feel like you just kind of, you empathize much more deeply. I feel like I can instantly connect with people. It's like I just know if someone's been through something. And I wouldn't want to not have that, you know, I think that is, I'm glad that I've got that part of myself. I'm glad that that's kind of my eyes have been open to that. Yeah, I kind of had that discussion with a patient at work yesterday about the things we have gained out of our experiences. And yeah, it's like you said, it's we can't go back to not caring mm. or like having, you know, a, a level of apathy or ignorance towards it. And I really struggled because it's, on you know the local news you know we're a bit we're not in quite you know we're not that far away from each other but I think we have probably get different news and we get stuff on 
in Suffolk about the five or six women who died under the under our local teams, including someone I knew from Maybe. hospital. Yeah, and um, all the time I see their pictures, pictures of all, of these of these women shared in articles about eating disorders, even if it's not specifically about their story. It's just their images are added to the thing, and I see this person. Well, I I knew her when we were teenagers, so I kind of still think of her as a girl. And it's like it's really hard hitting to see it to see to see it in that respect because I suppose we thought it would never be us and luckily it wasn't but that's not to say it couldn't have been exactly and yeah yeah, it's really it's yeah that was the real that was another thing that when I found out about this particular person's death it was like yeah I had that awful voice in my head saying she did better than you which is the most messed up thing ever I know but it's also also it was like damn it was actually you were down that going down that path too and when it comes to stuff like that that's more where our passion for awareness and stuff comes in because we even if you know friends of ours who maybe aren't in recovery and still witnessing that and thinking I don't want to be like that anymore it's it's really weird to see it and it is triggering sometimes but also it's a really bleak motivation to keep going the way we have been going definitely yeah I mean things like you know Nikki Graham and things like that I was sitting sobbing about that and even little things about you know there's so much talk about obesity and obesity in children and all the things that come out about they want to weigh children in schools and you know putting labels calories on everything like it literally reduces me to tears. It just makes yeah, me feel yeah. so hopeless. It makes me think I can't have children or I'm going to have to homeschool them. It makes me so angry in a way that, yeah, other people probably don't give a second thought about or, you know, I'll always be hyper turned on to these things now or be hyper vigilant to them. Um, and I think it is a difficult one to kind of, you don't want to merge your identity with it. Like you don't want to kind of be clinging on to it in a way but you can't turn it off you know it's part of you and I think I'm like I say I'm glad of it but then it is difficult because I think at times I do still go down a rabbit hole of kind of like I'm always going to be this person that battles you know I'm always going to have these thoughts in one way or the other and you can kind of go down a rabbit hole of not liking that and thinking why is this my identity why do other people go their whole life of not not mentally battling or kind of just seemingly skimming through life and for me life seems such an uphill battle at times and feels like such a mental kind of yeah it just feels like I never get quiet in my brain <laughs> and so yeah, that's really disheartening <laughs> yeah I find that especially especially with eating disorders and mental illness but also politics and stuff I wish I had that blissful ignorance where I could be like oh don't really care yeah because it doesn't affect me Uh, yeah I miss that (laughs) I mean it's been a long time since I had any blissful ignorance around a lot of these things yeah sometimes you just want to kind of cut that part of your brain out you just want to you know simplify things and think why do I have to overthink things all the time why do I have to ruminate why do I have to you know constantly 
overthink. It's just sometimes you don't want it to be there, but then at the same time, if I think of it as a whole, I think, no, this is part of me. And, you know, I think identity is a really difficult thing. And I think part of what comes into EDs is the perfectionism. And that's something for me that still really trips me up. And I think along with that and uncertainty is my two biggest things. And I think identity is very much wrapped up into that because you want to be this perfect person. You want to be the ideal version of you that you project into the future and think, I want my life to pan out this way. And, oh, something hasn't gone to plan. That means I'm a complete failure. And I think part of the identity crisis that comes with an ED is that perfectionism kind of trait and that that can still kind of stay with you at times as much as you know I came out of it and had a much stronger sense of myself it's changing all the time obviously it changes when you get older it changes when you grow it it will always change and I think me for me personally getting getting to grips with that uncertainty is an ongoing process yeah I mean I really struggle with perfectionism still and it really it really gets in the way of enjoying stuff like you talk about you know when you in day patient you really got into art and stuff I my perfectionism extended to art and so even to this day I have trouble enjoying it because all I can think about is doing it perfectly yeah Um, and art is subjective what is perfectly but again that's just one of the many many standards we end up holding ourselves to in terms of not knowing your weight when you were initially going through recovery and you know to this to this point has that how do you feel in your your body image side of things do you still struggle with body image at all I mean most most women do anyway we've got that extra little fire behind it but yeah how how do you how do you get on with that with that aspect now I think I think yeah some days are better than others I still choose I would not have a full-length mirror for example because I know that I'm constantly checking myself and I still do do the thing where I can stand in front of a mirror you know stare at certain parts of my body I think that like you say a lot of women do so I would still make the choice to never have scales in my house to never have a full-length mirror I make sure that I kind of don't you know trigger myself into things so it's something I always have to kind of look out for but sometimes I feel better in myself sometimes I feel worse it's an ongoing process and I think for me as well there's an extra element that comes in that I've had a lot of digestive issues which may or may not be contributed because of the eating disorder but yeah I mean it probably is linked to that and I get so much bloating with that and that really trips me up so a lot of the time you know I do stick to kind of a bit more baggy clothes um I never would get like really tight skinny jeans that are like you know I'll wear things that are bigger I'd rather have something loose and have to put a belt on so I know that I've probably still got a way to go with it and some days I can feel great and think yeah you know I feel really confident and other days I'll literally be sobbing on the floor saying to my boyfriend I'm hideous why are you with me <laughs> you know I'm just yeah. but you know I think the difference between that now is I know logically that even when I was however much smaller like a lot smaller than I am now I hated myself more 
a lot more than I do now. And so logically, I know that even if I start restricting, lose loads of weight, it's not going to help. It's all just a mental thing. And I know that I can wake up one day and feel great and the very next day feel terrible. And realistically, nothing has changed. My body has not changed overnight, but it's all just the mental side of it. And I think that's the difference now is that I can put it into perspective. And even on those days where I feel rubbish, it won't stop me living my life. I'll still go out with my friends, have drinks, have dinner. I, you know, I won't let it get in the way. It's just kind of, it's there, but it's a lot less loud than it was before. It was all encompassing before. It was just, it was almost like I could physically feel it. Like I felt uncomfortable in my own skin. And now I don't feel like that, like at all. I get the odd thing come up. And like I say, I have my days, my moments, but it's not ruling my life. And that's the massive difference. I think that's a really important thing to stress. And I think people who are in the earlier stages of recovery will think, and if they are gaining weight in recovery, it's like initially it is absolutely horrifying. And even if you hated yourself at your lowest weight, it may end up feeling worse at first. Yeah. And they can't imagine ever making any level of peace with it. Mm. Um, And I'll tell you what, my body image at the moment has been really horrible. I've really struggled with it. And I feel like I'm the I'm the cautionary tale, the anorexia cautionary tale of don't go into recovery because you end up as big as this person. That's how I feel people will look at me, especially. Yeah. Other people who are struggling with anorexia and they'll see really you used to be underweight I don't want to end up like you that's what I think people see of me now but even so even even with that I don't feel any worse than I at this point I don't feel any worse than when I was ill in terms of my low days with my body image Um, and I sometimes I do think oh well if I lose some weight not that I weigh myself, but, you know, if I got smaller, my, you know, I'd have a better relationship with my body. But there is nothing, there's no evidence that that would be the case. Like, if mm. anything, the lower my weight got, the more obsessed with it I got. Exactly. You know, I remember someone saying this to me and at the time when I was really unwell, I never believed it. But now I agree completely that even on the days when you're really hating your body and you're really struggling, you've got so much else in your life so much fulfillment from other things that I just always think I would not sacrifice all of that for losing weight it's just not I yeah everything I've got around me now and my work and my friends and just simple things that you just enjoy in a way that you can't when you're that unwell and I just think Sometimes I can really get dragged down, like you say, and think, oh, no, this is it now. You know, as of tomorrow, I'm going to do X, Y and Z and lose weight. But by the time tomorrow comes, that's forgotten because there's so much else that has, you know, put things into perspective. And I just know that I lost so much through my eating disorder. You know, I had to step out of uni. I had to, I lost relationships, friendships. I didn't have much of a relationship with my sister my dad you know it just takes so much from you not to mention your whole personality like I said earlier so if it means that I have to feel a little bit horrible in my body for a day or so and I have all of those good things back it's just you know it outweighs it so much it's it's a (laughs) no-brainer yeah it's a it's a trade 
that I'm willing to make. And I think, you know, we've probably been in recovery for a similar amount of time. And um, or at least when I, I kind of the way I was putting it yesterday. So I met my new line manager at work yesterday, who's an occupational therapist and kind of went over um, my history because my job is based on the fact I was mentally unwell. And I, you know, I tend to say at the moment, like now, oh, I've been in recovery for nearly seven years. And that's, that makes it sound like I've been at this stage in my recovery for seven years well really yeah. the whole the the procedure the, the process rather started nearly seven years ago because it was kind of like late 2014 after the third stint in day patient and basically rising up and trying to start a revolution of you were there obviously we had that person in the kitchen yeah um who do, did, did, did the food prep and it changed to being just ready meals all the time oh really and not only were they gross and I all from like the kind of the meal delivery services for old people. It also meant I could look up the calories of absolutely everything. We'd get a menu a week in advance. And while I was staring at the menu, I was on my phone looking up all of these meals and they were they just weren't nice. And so and yeah, by that point, I was too angry and I was done being nice. You know, when you first go into treatment, you're actually quite compliant and quiet. Now I was done by then. <laughs> okay, you weren't. I think a lot of, a lot of people are, but um, yeah. I at that point I was too miserable and angry, and I just wasn't having it. I did a lot of storming out. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what? Um, when I started there, I think they had all those ready meals, and I, you know, we all kind of kicked off about it, and then that's when they changed it. So they must have changed back. Yeah, I can't even, you know, this is long enough ago that I don't remember the exactly what happened. I also remember there was a time in between two of my admissions there was just they um, started bringing all patients in by ambulance rather than taxi. That happened for a while. And bearing in mind there were people like this is was in Colchester and we had people coming from Cambridge and London and other places in Essex being brought in by ambulance and they weren't even allowed to walk from their front door to the ambulance without being escorted by two paramedics oh my god yeah I really hope it's different now yeah I hope it is yeah I mean I think we were quite lucky in a way to have day patients because a lot of places don't and even though I live in Ipswich which is only 20 minutes away from Colchester because it's under a different trust. People from Suffolk, at least when we in the time we were there, people from Suffolk don't have that option of day patient. Yeah, well, and I, I mean that leads leads to more inpatient admissions. Yeah, um, it's so it's so uneven across the country, isn't it? Because I mean, I I in my second when I went into my second year of uni, I switched all of my care over to up in Surrey where I was, and that was just it basically that was my undoing because they were terrible they would basically weigh me see that it was going from bad to worse every week and then just send me on my way and was just like you have to do it off your own back like if you want to do it you want to do it and so that was when I ended up having to drop out because I got so unwell um you know it's so I do agree in Essex where I was I really got some good care and I was lucky but I do think we've got a long way to go in kind of equalising that. Yeah, there were times at day patient where it did kind of 
especially because there were those of us who didn't comply. It was a bit like just slowing down the weight loss before you go into hospital, which was the Mm. case for me when, you know, the first time I went um, just before my second hospital admission in 2013, the week before they were just like, either you commit to day patient or you go inpatient. And I couldn't commit to day patient because it felt like I was accepting the food yeah whereas if you're inpatient you've basically got no choice and also the amount of responsibility um of just existing with an eating disorder and you've got so many rules to stick to and so many expectations of yourself in a way being taken into hospital that weight was lifted for a bit like it wasn't easy by any means um but also there was an element of relief to it yeah, I, I mean, I I think the reason, you know, I was very much the same, always so resistant to treatment. And I think basically, like I say, after that really bad treatment at, at uni, I basically just had a breakdown, massive panic attack, really, really bad. And I stepped away from uni. And that's when I kind of agreed to go to the day patient. But in my mind, it was just going to be like for a month, then I'd go back to uni. You know, I thought I had it under control, but no, they had other plans. And I think the only reason I really agreed to it was because one day suddenly um, my mum and dad arrived. Um, I think one morning break or something, my mum and dad arrived, uh, two social workers arrived and they were going to section me to go into hospital. And this was like a week before Christmas. And I literally begged them not to take me in. And the only reason they didn't is because they said, well, if we don't, you have to take a year out of uni and really give this day patient a go. And so sometimes you do need that really, like you say, that forceful, the controls taken out of your hands, because like you say, it's such a hard decision. You don't want to be the one to say, yeah, I'm committing to this. I'm committing to eating. So if someone else says, right, you must do this, (laughs) then it kind of gives you that freedom to be like okay you see I surrender you know and that was the turning point for me to think okay I have to do this now I've got a whole year dedicated to this I might as well give it a go I I would assume that over the last however many years you've had patches where you have resorted back to some of those old behaviors and what you do to come out of that again out of those lapses yeah do you know what that's a really tough question because I was thinking of that the other day and I think it's just like what I said earlier it's I definitely have had moments where I'm kind of tempted to go back into that and really difficult times but I think it's just always been that thing of knowing how bad it was when I was in it um and I sort of had this thing happen to me recently along the kind of stomach issues um where I had to go on a really strict diet for to try and fix the stomach issues and that was really tough really triggering cutting out carbs cutting out this that and the other yeah bad (laughs) and do you know what I really was worried it was going to put me down that bad path and it has been a bit of a tricky one more so coming off it and having to go back to eating normally but I started I had no energy when I was on that diet and I felt so 
miserable. I was so moody and I was cold all the time. Like that was like one thing that just was horrific when I was ill was just the unshakable coldness. Um, And it just reminded me, I literally felt like I was back in it. And if anything, it made me more determined not to go back to it. And I think that's the only thing, I know it sounds so flimsy, but it's the only thing that really keeps me going is I think once you get to a certain point and once you are at that recovery point where you have experienced life without it fully, you you look back on it and you realise how bad it was and how just awful. And like I say, how it seems like a like, completely different person. And that's just the only thing that's kept me going is always thinking, however bad this feels right now, it's not as bad as that. And you know, if I go back to that, it's only going to get worse. Like you say, it's never going to feel better. Yeah, I mean, it's been a couple of years since I had my last real lapse into restriction, and it lasted for a month or so. And that was enough to remind me how horrible it was. Yeah. And it was really hard to bounce back from that lapse. But, you know, when you're when you're in recovery and that sneaky voice is trying to tell you it was better before... And then maybe you might you might listen to it and actually no, actually this that that those few weeks were enough to remind me how dreadful it is, even a few days to be honest. And I had a similar thing where I was told to go on the you know, cut out FODMAP food. And I had a really great GP at the time and she's the one who suggested it. And I said, This is a really bad idea. Yeah. Like and to this day, I would rather live with my stomach problems and eat things I enjoy and things that sustain me than be on a really limited diet for the sake of not having stomach pain. Yeah. It's it's another trade-off. Yeah, and I think you have to, I think once you've recovered from something like this, you have to really be in the mindset of this is what works for me and it might be different for that person, different for that person, and you have to really stick to your own rules and be rigid in that because I did do that diet for a month And it was really hard. I felt miserable as anything. And now I'm back to having treatment on various supplements I can eat normally again. But she did say to me, you know, I had an appointment the other day and she said, you're going to have to go back on that restrictive diet. And I said, I'm just not doing it. I can't do it. It's not worth the mental strain. Like, I can't do it. And, you know, maybe that will mean, like you say, that my stomach probably will. It won't help it. It will be detrimental for my stomach. But mentally, like, exactly, you have to take the payoff, you know, you have to balance things out. And I think that's the same with so many things, you know. I know that some people really struggle with hearing other people talk about diets or, you know, things that we're all surrounded by every day. And it is hard and it is triggering. But the one thing I would say is that you have to just be so strict in thinking about yourself and thinking, you know what, that might work for them, or even just thinking that's a load of rubbish. But whatever you've got to think, just it's almost like you're in a little box and you can't let other people infiltrate it. And, you know, you're the only one that's lived your experience. You're the only one who's had to go through that hardship. And you're the only one, unfortunately, that will have to suffer again if you go back to that. Yeah, I think you highlighted something really good there about what's right for you. And I think that's an issue that comes with treatment is that a lot of the time it's not person centered. Mm. It's diagnosis centered. 
or numbers centered and that's why a lot of the time coming out of treatment the recovery isn't sustained because you are given a your a prescriptive treatment rather than what is right for you and we were both fortunate enough to figure out what was right for us yeah and you know I'll until the cows come home I'll say letting go like not being weighed or not knowing your weight is the best thing you can do but it was also not necessarily it's not that doesn't mean everyone can do it and but that was right that was right for us and I think it's probably right for a lot of people but it's also sometimes people who get weighed it holds them accountable yeah it's got to be on your own terms it's got to be your own decision and as much as we can sit here and say that was amazing for us if that's going to trip someone else up and that's going to make them worse then it's not worth doing like it has to be something that aligns with you and feels right for you and yeah like you say that is the difficult thing of it's it's very much a case that you're going to treatment and they give you a graph of BMI and say you know if you're here you're recovered which is just not true because you know I think you've mentioned it before on a podcast people might start off at you know I was like I say I was always naturally quite small you know and there's other people that probably a lot bigger than me and they might have had to lose a load more weight to get to the point you know where they was ill or whatever you just can't what's what's right for one person's body is not right for another person's body and to label it out as you know this one thing it means you're recovered is just impossible it's it's not as simple as that and I think that is the thing where you know weight is a difficult matter because I think that's the thing where it does help to let go of the numbers because once you get to a certain point you almost have to do trust your body and I know that's really difficult I know a lot of people will kind of sit there and go ah you know that's really hard to sit with but I do believe that there is a set point where your body wants to be and I do think that if you trust your body it will yeah it's you're fighting your body at the end of the day and if you just kind of give in and give it what it needs and listen to it as hard as that may be I think that's a really important bit of recovery and it's not going to happen straight away like you say we've been in recovery years and I'm sure for a number of years it was more sticking to what we knew and sticking to what we had to do but once you get past that I think the listening to your intuition and getting in tune with your body is an important stage yeah I'm actually still figuring that out now um because although you know I've been quite flexible with my food for a number of years there's still I've had a bit of a routine again and it kind of held me accountable whereas I'm currently listening to the audiobook of Just Eat It by Laura Thomas who's a dietitian, like anti-diet dietitian. And I'm going to do a post about this book because it's basically I'm learning more and more about intuitive eating and also, you know, so listening to your body, but also in the book, there's so much debunking of diet culture and weight bias and stuff. I'm learning so much and it helps to apply or rather unapply rules because I'm just like, you know, we especially when we're ill, we think we're the exception to the rule. Like, oh, no, but I'm I don't need to recover to that BMI. I can be underweight and in recovery and that kind of thing. Like I'm arguing with my consultant being like, well, I don't need to recover to that BMI because it's not natural for me. And oh, I was so wrong. And there there are a small number of people who whose set weight range is lower than average. But 
most of the time not. Yeah. But we don't have special magic bodies. <laughs> uh, and our bodies are very smart. They they do know what's best for us. And think of all the things we've put our bodies through and it's still going. It's doing a good job. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think you've you've brought up a really good point of the fact that there's so much stuff that as a whole society that we need to unlearn you know there's so much that we are brainwashed into all the time about looking a certain way and you know there's so many fads you know you can look back over the decades and think 90s was really stick thin and now it's my you know having a big bum but a tiny waist and you can't force your body to look into these you know there's a certain point when you have to think this is my natural makeup, this is my genetics, you know, you can't wrestle with that, you have to make peace with it, which is, you know, I'm making light of it here, I'm not saying it's easy, and I think as much as we can sit here and say we're recovered, we'll also both sit here and say, like you are now, there's still things to work on, there probably always will be things to work on, you know, I said this to my boyfriend the other day, there's still things I could further kind of develop, you know, those kind of ideas of like, oh, I'm only going to eat takeaway at the weekend and things like that, little things, you know, they're not things that are really hold me back, but they're still rules, they're still things that are there that I could really challenge. So, you know, it, it is an ongoing process, I think. Yeah, and the term recovery and the term recovered, again, are subjective. And I think for me, mm. just because I know I've got, I've still got a few rules and beliefs and stuff that are prompted by the remaining ED gremlin that I don't consider myself recovered per se, but I'm a lot closer to it than I've ever been now. Yeah. I mean, even, even with the current struggles, I... Re- I really think that I'm not going to go back whereas I used to think it was a, a, you know a possibility whereas now I, I don't think it's there's a barely any chance of that happening yeah I mean I would say the same for me um you know someone did ask me before I think when I did a talk would you say you're recovering or recovered and I still don't really know what I would say because I would kind of liken it to like an alcoholic or something you know they say if you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. It's just the difference of whether you're drinking or not. And I think that's the same. You always have those thoughts. You will always have a bit of the battle. But even if that's only 1% there, it's probably always going to be there. But it's whether you're choosing to engage in it or not. And, you know, that's what we're kind of saying here is that we're not engaging. We don't see ourselves going back down that path. But it's always a choice to walk past that path, isn't it? It's always a conscious decision. It's not something we can really take for granted as such. Yeah, you've worded that bang on. And I th- I like using the word remission because I'm not symptomatic and I'm physically healthy. But yeah, there's still there's still an inkling. Some there's still a little bit, and that goes for other other m- mental health issues as well. This has been such a brilliant conversation and we've got obviously like we said at the beginning we do have a lot in common but we've also brought things to light that I hadn't thought of and it is interesting in a way to hear from someone who's gone to a similar path to me because I don't really a lot of people I knew from treatment didn't necessarily have a similar thing they might be in recovery but it might have been a completely different path to it so yeah this is this has just been really and also knowing someone from treatment who is where you are 
because sometimes you'll look at people you knew from treatment on social media and they're clearly not doing well and it's really lovely to see when someone is yeah I agree it is really lovely it's really nice to see you in a positive headspace I'm I don't have like regular contact with pretty much anyone from treatment now but you know beyond being friends on Facebook or something because especially with those who aren't in recovery you kind of have to put that distance in for your own well-being and it feels like you're being a bad friend sometimes but that's the difficulty of meeting people under that circumstance because sometimes you'll meet people who if you'd met in college or at work you would have ended up being like firm friends with regardless but it can be especially when you're you know in and out of treatment for a long time and you only associate with people with eating disorders that keeps you stuck in that identity as well I think um, even if you don't say it out loud you can hold each other back yeah Um, it comes back to putting yourself in that box doesn't it just you know focusing on what's right for you and unfortunately sometimes you do have to kind of make those decisions and it might seem harsh for the other person it might seem you know people might think badly of it but you have to do what's right for you and what's right for your recovery that's exactly it and that can be our there are words of wisdom yes. for the end of the <laughs> for the end of the podcast i really hope people who are maybe in the earlier stages of their recovery listen to this and maybe i hope we instill some hope i really hope yeah. I, like you know talking about the darker things and the outcome thus far yeah I hope there's I hope there's hope there for other people and yeah don't really uh, that's a really good place to wrap up I think so thank you so much for sharing all of that and again I'm I love seeing you thriving and everything and doing your thing you are you you're doing you yeah, I'm really glad we, that we had this chat. It's been really nice. And yeah. like you say, I hope we do give hope to other people because it is possible. <laughs> That's something I use as, at work and I try and instill in colleagues is that, and I, you know, I don't work in eating disorders specifically, I work in mental health, but recovery is possible for, as far as I'm concerned, anyone, but they need the right person-centred approaches for it maybe I'll do maybe I'll do a podcast about what peer support work is and how it's all about person-centered treatment but I'll save that for another day yeah lovely thank you so much and I hope to see you soon and this was a really good chat thank you yeah thank you